Welcome to Hunt Harvest Health Podcast with your host, Ryan Lampers, aka The Stealthy Hunter. Howdy. And myself, Dr. Hillary Lampers, where we share our love for ancestral living and the health topics of the modern age. Ryan is the well-rounded bearded brawn of Hunt Harvest Health. His knowledge of backcountry adventure, western hunting, and our household status as garden guru and super dad really defines our gut stealthy lifestyle. Doc Hillary is definitely the brains and beauty behind all of this. She kind of makes everything happen as I have zero technical skills. Hill is just a wealth of knowledge in all things medicine and nutrition, which not only keep our family healthy, but they help me stay strong in all my mountain adventures. You can follow us at huntharvesthealth.com, Instagram, and Facebook for more podcasts, recipes, and stories. All right, let's do this. Today in America, there's about 20 million people walking around with a diagnosed autoimmune condition. And statistics show that there's likely another 25 million walking around that haven't been diagnosed. Autoimmunity is fastly becoming one of the biggest health groups and conditions that we're seeing within the population. And I would say that even in my own practice, it can be quite alarming at how many people come in with symptoms and we diagnose them with some sort of autoimmune condition. Autoimmunity can range from Uh, More severe, if people think about it, like rheumatoid arthritis to multiple sclerosis to type 1 diabetes. Um, And then, you know, less severe and more easily, easily treatable conditions like Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Today's podcast, I'm sitting down with my partner at work, Dr. Katie Kukaris, and we're going to talk about the thyroid and Hashimoto's because it's one of the most common conditions that are diagnosed in our population. And I think that when I, when people want to talk about um, hormones, that the thyroid plays a big piece of that. Uh, The immune system is something that's very complex and we're going to touch on it quite a bit in this podcast, because when you're talking autoimmunity, you can't not talk about the immune system and the uh, job that it has and what starts to happen within the immune system when it becomes dysfunctional and starts attacking ourselves. So that's what autoimmune means. It means that your body is attacking yourself. If you take uh, a condition per se, let's say diabetes type 1. Diabetes type 1 is an autoimmune condition that happens. They're not really sure why. Usually happens and is diagnosed in young children. But it can also happen after stressful events like pregnancy, um, big changes in life, stuff like that. And it's where the body, the immune system, starts to attack the beta cells within the pancreas. The beta cells produce insulin. And as we all know, we can't live without insulin. And once those cells die, that it would be very terminal. So in the past, without exogenous insulin, type 1 diabetics could not live. It was not a viable autoimmune disease. Today, that's different because we do have insulin and type 1 diabetics can live a long life if they take very good care of themselves. But, you know, it's still an autoimmune condition that will affect them for the rest of their life. 
Obviously, another more severe autoimmune condition is multiple sclerosis. Multiple sclerosis is also on the rise in its diagnosis, and it's when the myelin sheath around the nerves starts to deteriorate. So symptoms of multiple sclerosis are you know, people just basically stop being able to use motor function within their body because these nerves require myelination, which is a big fatty, basically coating around the nerve that allows the signal to travel super fast to the periphery. When that myelin sheath starts to get destroyed, you start to see a loss of motor function. So MS can be a very hard diagnosis because it destroys motor function without necessarily destroying um, cognitive function. So people can, in a lot of ways, get trapped in their body. But, you know, speaking about these more uh, severe conditions, it says that we've seen over a lifetime that when people take better care of themselves and they start to take better care of themselves, you know, maybe before they weren't taking great care of themselves or, you know, like I said, type 1 diabetes, they don't really know why why children get it. It's, it's It's a mystery. And so I think that it's important to realize that there's definitely a range and a scope of these autoimmune conditions, but they also have a lot to do with our lifestyle. Genetics can play in there as well, but we find that the rise in these may be due more to our environmental exposures, such as things in the water, things in the food supply, and all these noxious chemicals that we are kind of ubiquitously exposed to um, affecting the immune system. So naturally, your immune system is there to fight off things that are foreign. So if you get a bacterial infection, it's supposed to fight that. If you get a virus, it fights that. Um, If you get a parasite, it's supposed to fight that. Uh, And it's constantly always out there looking for foreign invaders. And cancer is a very common uh, thing that we grow within our body cells. Some cells kind of go rogue and they start doing what they want and thinking they're going to grow and replicate. And they start, they can even develop their own blood supplies and voila, you have a cancer. Well, the immune system in most of us is constantly looking for those, those uh, misfit cells and killing them. So I would bet to say that most of us have cancer cells within us. And if our immune system's working well, we're killing them. It's when our immune system kind of can't notice those cells anymore that it, cancer can get by and, and uh, turn into more problematic cells. So autoimmunity is, is basically when your immune system can no longer identify your own cells as normal and starts to attack yourself. And so today we're going to talk about the thyroid gland and Hashimoto's, which is a very common condition. It's much higher in women, but we're seeing more of it in men. And it's when the immune system starts to attack the thyroid gland. Interestingly enough, there's many other systems that work with the thyroid gland. So your sex hormone system, your adrenals, um, all, you know, these are working along with your thyroid to keep you healthy, keep you of normal weight, to give you energy, get you out of bed in the morning, um, metabolize foods, all these things that we kind of take for granted if we're healthy. But uh, it's important to realize that a lot of those factors are lifestyle. And a lot of those things are dependent on what we're doing every single day. You know, what is, how is the water that we're drinking? What is the food that we're eating? How much movement are we getting? How much sleep are we getting? Which is the big one. Um, and what is our daily stress load? 
Also, what are we being exposed to in our environment? This morning, I got up and did some reading, and this is really what got my head turning about the immune system. Um, I read an article uh, um, from the Environmental Working Group about toxins within our water supply and how when you have multiple um, specific toxins that they're seeing a rise in breast cancer. So those three big toxins that they were talking about were Teflon from cooking pans, um, BPAs from plastics, and parabens from um, health, like lotions and cosmetics and stuff like that. It's a preservative. And when you have one of those chemicals and you're exposed to them, they can cause problems. But when you get three of those chemicals together, they actually make a more deadly mix and uh, they can cause a growth of breast cancer cells, which is kind of scary because what they said in this article is that even if you don't think you're exposed to these things, because maybe you're not using Teflon, uh, maybe you're not using plastic, which I don't believe is getting away from plastic is very difficult, but you know, you got rid of BPA plastic. Uh, You don't put on a bunch of cosmetics or lotions or under armor that. Um, like not under armor, under arm spray and perfumes and stuff that are full of parabens, we're all still exposed to them because what they said is they're in the water. They're in the water system. They're in municipal water systems. Some of these things cannot be filtered out with like traditional water treatment. And so that's kind of scary because even if you're living what you feel is a very healthy life and you're taking all the steps that you can to avoid it, you may still be getting exposures. So that makes me start to think, okay, what about this autoimmune uh, autoimmune epidemic that we're seeing in the United States and probably globally and the ubiquitous chemicals and things that are in, a, in our environment, the drugs that are in our water system, um, the amount of chemicals and things that we, especially women, are putting on our body every day and exposing our immune systems to, you know. How is it, you know, how do we, how do we protect ourselves from that? And that can be the bigger question that can be very difficult because we've created these products over the years to make our lives easier. But now there's so many of them and we don't even necessarily know how to get rid of them. Plastic's a great example. You know, there's, there's an island of plastic the size of Texas or California or something floating around in the ocean. And, you know, it's, I work in a medical office. I use IV bags. I use plastics. They've greatly saved lives. And, and um, you know, you can't get away from it. But at the same time, how has all that stuff getting into our water, now it's getting into our bodies. How is that affecting us? And when you see autoimmune conditions rising, um, you start, you have to start to think about these things. So it's important to think about the whole hormonal system, not just the thyroid, because hormones by nature tend to be lipophilic, which means they're fatty in nature. And so they uh, are more susceptible to chemicals that like to bind to lipophilic molecules. And so a lot of these chemicals that they're talking about, the reason that they affect things like maybe, you know, um, you know, cancer would be one, but another one would be like the myelin sheath of, of the nerve. That's a very fatty substance, right? It attaches to that. We can see a lot of nervous system disorders um, when people have been exposed to chemicals. And as well as our sex hormones, our estrogens, testosterones, uh, adrenal hormones, all of these things are cholesterol, are, come from cholesterol and cholesterol is obviously fatty. And so 
being exposed to a lot of chemicals in our environment is going to affect the hormones. So in today's podcast, we're going to talk about the thyroid. We're going to talk about the immune system. And we're going to talk about some things to help, you know, what are some things we can do uh, that can improve the thyroid. I thought it would be fun too to take this topic and kind of elaborate on it so that we can connect it to the other hormonal systems because they all work together. You can't just really separate the thyroid by itself. Um, You need to think about the other hormonal systems that are impacting the thyroid. And so what I did is I am creating what's called the energy and you school. And I just use energy because obviously thyroid is a metabolic driver and it creates energy in the body. And in that, we're going to talk about the other hormones as well. We're going to talk about the sex hormones. We're going to talk about thyroid. We're going to talk about adrenals. And then we're going to talk about naturopathic principles. We're going to talk about lifestyle principles. What are some things that you can do to either possibly spare yourself from an autoimmune disease? Or if you've had a diagnosed autoimmune disease, what are some some of the things that you can right now take action to decrease any more exposures that you've had? And so that energy and you school is going to launch on July 15th, 2018. And you can just go to huntharvesthealth.com slash energy and you get signed up. It's going to be free. It'll be five days of videos of me talking about different topics um, in this thyroid and hormonal cascade. So go there. You don't have anything to lose by signing up. And we'll just elaborate in there more on what Dr. and Katie uh, Dr. Katie and I are going to talk about here. That's all I wanted to say today. Hopefully I didn't go on too much of a health rant, but you can find this podcast and the show notes and everything else you need at huntharvesthealth.com slash podcast slash thyroid. You know, it's funny, we go around and interview people all over the place. And I, I obviously have a lot of friends who are doctors just by nature that happens because you end up going to medical school and that's where you make a lot of your friends at. And here I am, you know, working every day in a clinic with another doctor. And it's like, how easy was this to just sit down and uh, talk with you sitting like in my office? It would seem easier than it is. but (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think we do. We do a little bit of this when we're talking about stuff occasionally. But yeah, we got from men and women the big question. Well, what about the thyroid gland? What about thyroid disease? What about my poorly working thyroid. How do I help that? And so I think that obviously, I bet you would agree, you and I just see tons of this. Yeah, it's probably one of the most common conditions that I see. Yeah, we see so much thyroid dysfunction. And maybe it's just because of where we live. Like right now, I'm looking out the window. It's almost April. It is dark and like rainy and depressing outside. And just when you think that it's going to be done, it comes back. And it's great for the flowers. It's great for the vegetables, but it is depressing. And what I notice is I think this heavy, damp, dark environment just is not very good for a thyroid. Um, I don't know how you feel about it. but (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we know there's nutrients that we get from the sun that that help us to be healthier and and we know we don't get as much of that up here um being farther north and then the weather 
right? How much sun are you getting right now? <laughs> I'm getting none right now. I'm getting some light through the window, but I don't know how much sun is in there. Um, so Katie, you haven't been on the show before. Just give us a little bit of background about yourself. Well, I've always been interested in medicine and um, I grew up um, outside a lot. I grew up in, in Banff, Canada. Mm, nice. And um, so I... I think I had this appreciation of nature that I was able to kind of grow and and felt like um, I wanted to study something where I could kind of combine two two loves, and so went to naturopathic school. I went um, also got my my master's in acupuncture, um, Chinese herbs, and and have been practicing since and been here for five years, started a family. Um, I always hate the bio parts. You're doing good. You're doing good. <laughs> I never know what to say. Um, but yeah, uh, I really love what I do. I, I really love what I do. And, and I think, um, when you, when we started talking, well, so, you know, we're always going to each other with the questions or, yeah. you know, helping, helping with some, some interesting thought or some weird thing that's come up, some case that we can't figure out or, um, and it's always nice to get another thought. And, and so it's been kind of fun thinking about doing this with you and actually mm -hmm. sitting down with some time because yeah, I mean, I, I think I was up till 1am and got up at five with Savannah. She's not sleeping real well. So yep. I totally, I, I'm not always, and here's the plight of the working parent and probably more so the working mom is that, you know, I come to work in the morning once childcare shows up or, you know, Ryan kicks me out if he's got the girls and I'm usually running in my first patient's probably walking in the door because I'm, I will admit I'm not a timely person and Ryan absolutely hates that about me, <laughs> but you know, my first patient's waiting for me. I start my day and, you know, I'm booked back to back. Sometimes I'm lucky if I get to eat. And then I've got to run out of here because I've got to go and get the kids. I've got to relieve the care provider um, or, you know, Ryan's got to go to work or whatever it is. And so I feel like even here in the office, sometimes it's it's really difficult just to sit down like this. We, we had to schedule this into our schedule. You know, this is a two week, like, okay, two weeks from now, we're going to have two hours. Let's schedule this in. Yeah. And this is, I think, um, the whole, you know, what we're going to talk about today I, I think that, you know, we, we also, you know, need to take these things to heart because as we well know, seeing people that are ill and, and dealing with the struggles of these things, um, you know, it's, it's not that hard to you, for you to be the one suffering. And in a lot of cases, I, I do feel like practitioners, you know, we, we don't do enough self-care and we're always going, 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 and we don't take the break, you know, we don't take the time to sit down and, and, um, that's unfortunate, but that's just kind of how the way the world is when you're working and you have young children, there's not a whole lot of time, extra time, you know? Yeah. And if you do, I feel like if I do have that extra time, uh, I don't know, I'm either spacing out or, <laughs> you know, I should be at the gym or something. <laughs> I don't know. So it's, uh, it's good, I think, to sit down and, and kind of rehash some of the things that we do know, you know, that we talk about with patients every day. And we forget that the average person doesn't know these things, right? Like mm -hmm. we really take it for granted as we're going and coming and going and rushing and doing this kind of thing. But I know that the Hunt Harvest Health community, like these 
the people out there listening, like they really, you know, they've really latched on to the health aspect of, you know, what we have to offer and share. And so I think, you know, just sharing naturopathic medicine and how much we do know and, and um, what we've seen in our practices and how we really help people um, outside of the conventional model heal themselves. And that's really why I started this podcast with Ryan is, you know, to help people understand that there's so many more alternatives out there than what they're being exposed to. Um, and conventional medicine has its place, you know, I mean, obviously, medications and some of these things can really change people's lives. But, you know, like we're going to talk about today, kind of those core principles are very naturopathic, you know, that's what we are trained in. And that's what um, I, I, I try to advocate as much as I can in my practice with people. And unfortunately, yeah. sometimes people don't want to hear it because it's usually hard work. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lifestyle change. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, I always try to remind people too, it's hard work to do the change, but it's so much easier to, to do that work and stay healthy than to come back from right. disease and get healthy. It takes a lot more work. So if you're coming in from a fairly healthy perspective, it's, it's easier. It's, it's hard to do the change, right. but it's easier to stay where you are than to, you know, walk uphill and get to some other point. Yeah, it's kind of like exercise. It's that when you first start exercising again, like that two or three weeks is brutal. And then you like hit that plateau and you just start feeling good. And it's no big deal. I got to go to the gym. I got to work out. I got to go outside and do a run. It's just getting there. And it takes those takes a little bit for your body to get used to it. And it's not always fun. You know, yeah. a lot of people quit in that time because they just like this sucks. I don't feel good. My body hurts. And it's, it's like that too with your, I mean, it's like that with your long-term health, you know, when you're really down low in the dumps, it's, it's a much harder struggle to work and to get out of that. But once you get to that place, you can maintain a thing where, you know, you can maintain your lifestyle where it's not so dramatic yeah. and your dive down isn't going to be so deep as when you're, you're, you're really sick. So, okay. The topic we are going to talk about today, which I think is really exciting because we see so much of this, is thyroid. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, tons of you out there wanted to know about thyroid. So we're going to talk on, we're going to just touch on all the really important things about thyroid and some of the biggest high thyroid conditions and then how we can help that. Uh, I know that you and I right now are working on putting a plan together, a thyroid plan that we'll be sharing with our community. So, you know, some of this information may feel like it's totally over your head and we're going to just try to keep it as simple as we can because the thyroid goes over my head sometimes. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's complicated. It's super complicated. So we're just going to try to give you great information, but if you want to um, get deeper in, if you do suffer with thyroid issues and you want more help, you know, definitely look for that program. Um, that'll be coming and Obviously I'll let you all know about it, but okay. So Katie, let's talk about the thyroid. Okay. Well, so I think we were, we were kind of thinking about talking about, um, what does the thyroid do? Right. right. What, mm -hmm. what are, what is the hormonal action of the thyroid in the body? What, why is it important? Um, and I think, so, so the way I look at the thyroid as a real basic introduction to it is it's, it, it makes thyroid hormone that tells our cells in our body how fast to do everything. But it, it's kind of fuel for the body. All the cells that are kind of working together to make whatever action happen are all kind of governed by thyroid hormone. And 
they are told basically how fast to do their job and given the, the, the push to do it Mm -hmm. with thyroid hormone. Yeah. I think thyroid also works on a ton of different systems, right? Like it's not just your thyroid gland that's secreting thyroid. It's not just your thyroid gland that's doing the work. Um, It's really interesting that in the thyroid hormone metabolism, you have the brain, Mm -hmm. you have the thyroid gland itself, you have the liver, you have the GI tract, Am I missing something there? Well, the adrenal gland? Yep. And other peripheral, like, so other tissues in the body other, too, yeah. like at not as, they're not as big as player, a big of players, but they're, right. they still contribute to, to making the thyroid system work in the yeah. body. So let's talk a little bit about, well, maybe let's just get a little bit more of what other systems we work on. So we have it, it's controlling that. Obviously, fat burning is mm-hmm. a big one. People are always asking, like, losing, you know, losing weight. It helps you to, it has fire, gives you that fire, yeah. gives you that speed of losing weight. Like um, metabolism, right? Your, yeah. your, your metabolism, how fast do you burn the fuel that you're putting into the body? How fast is your digestion, work, digestion working? Right. And in response to, like, what's your, how well is it working? Right. Um, Bone metabolism is another big one because, well, that's more parathyroid, but it's on the thyroid gland and it controls calcium levels in your blood. Mm -hmm. And so um, when you see thyroid dysfunction, you can sometimes see parathyroid dysfunction. So we get bone issues. Mm -hmm. Um, It's another important one to look at as well as, um, you know, insulin and glucose metabolism in your body, which today is like a huge deal with people having blood sugar and insulin resistance mm-hmm. problems. So always thinking of thyroid when you, even high cholesterols, yeah. you can think of, uh, because of the liver action of thyroid, you can think of wanting to rule out any hypothyroid. Yeah. And it's something that we just don't connect in mm-hmm. medicine traditionally, mm-hmm. right? In traditional medicine, they don't connect like hypercholesterol syndrome with with any sort of thyroid dysfunction, but it's it can be a real player. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so give us a little bit of like the picturesque model of how, where does it start? Where does thyroid metabolism start in the body? So I, you know, we, we have this term, the HPA axis, mm-hmm. um, but it, it, you know, starts with the brain, right? And it starts with the hypothalamus. And the hypothalamus is a, is a gland in the brain that helps to s- initiate production of hormones. So it doesn't actually do it, but it sends out its own hormones to kind of then help other glands kind of, it's, it's like a, a chain reaction. The hypothalamus tends to talk to something called the pituitary that's also in the brain. Um, and the pituitary then sends out hormones in response to what it's been told by the hypothalamus. So the hypothalamus sends out a, a hormone called TRH. Um, and then the pituitary reads that and in response to that sends out a hormone called TSH, which that's what most medical doctors test Mm -hmm. when you're looking at the thyroid. So that's probably the most commonly known um, thing that we test for with Mm -hmm. thyroid is the TSH, but it's really not coming from the thyroid at all. It's coming from the pituitary. And then the thyroid then picks it up in the, or reads that amount of TSH and makes T4 um, in response to it. So T4 is a thyroid hormone that's put out by the thyroid 
it's what we call kind of, I like to call it like the storage thyroid hormone because it has a much longer life and it's not as active. Um, and when we need more thyroid hormone, we're able to convert to T3. And T3 is more the active thyroid hormone. Um, we have much less of it. You know, we make, I think it's about 90%, 90 something percent of our thyroid hormone that we make is T4. And then, um, a little less than 10% is T3. Um, but then it gets converted all over the body, different tissues all over the body, the liver. I think the liver does a majority of conversion from T4 to T3, but T3 is the active thyroid hormone. Wow, cool. So that's when, uh, you know, if you're having hypothyroidism, let's say, or your thyroid's not working correctly, basically what you can have is an imbalance in any one of these hormones. So... I think that feedback loop is really important too. So, you know, why would if, um, and we'll get into the different types of thyroid conditions here in a minute, but when you talk about this kind of whole hormonal cascade, it's like the, the brain's talking to the thyroid gland, the thyroid gland's now delivering uh, T3, which was 90% of the hormone. And then it's delivering it to where the cells mm -hmm. in the body, like turn yeah. on, do your job, you know, buck up whatever, be a man, I don't know what to call it, <laughs> and, and go to work, right? Yeah. And then once enough cells go to work and they start doing their job, there's a feedback loop that then goes back to the pituitary gland and tells TSH that, okay, you're doing your job, stop being secreted. You don't need to secrete anymore by the brain or just lower your secretion because we're doing our job, right? right? So there's a happy range on labs where we want to see TSH. TSH doesn't stop. Obviously, you don't want that to happen. That's not good, right? But you're, you're always having a little bit of a secretion of it. So there's a range that you want to see there. That feedback loop can get screwed up. And what can happen is if there's not enough of the T3 being made or there's not enough T4 being stored, there's not enough conversions or nutrients and things that you need or there's stress or there's environmental toxin, maybe you have a viral infection, and we'll get into these other things in a little bit. It's like all of a sudden that feedback loop gets messed up, right? Yeah. And then the brain, uh, maybe those cells aren't going to work. And the brain keeps thinking it needs to keep producing TSH. Mm -hmm. And so TS TSH starts to rise. And we see this hypothyroid-like picture with this elevated TH, which is basically just your brain is not getting the signal that your cells are doing the work. I, I run into this a lot. And I think we always think of hypo functioning when we talk about like hypo and hyper that the TSH is low or high goes with that word and it's kind of inverse. So I always like to just make a point. Hypo functioning, the TSH goes up. It's kind of, it's reverse of what a lot of people would right, think. And yeah. so I think of it, I kind of try to relate it. I, this is kind of funny, but I try to relate it to like a, to a mother and a child. If the child isn't doing what the mother says, so the TSH is coming from the pituitary and if the thyroid isn't doing what it says, right, the TSH gets louder and louder and louder. So, um, it's the mother yelling mm -hmm. and the thyroid is 
not functioning like it should. It's hypo functioning. It's functioning too low. The child's not doing what it's supposed to. And so the mother gets louder and louder and louder and vice versa. If the child is, is running around doing everything, you don't hear very much from the mother, right? If it's, if they're doing everything they should, they don't hear very much. So sometimes I think that's a good way to look at it too. Yeah, that's an awesome. (laughs) I think everybody, at least parents can relate. Uh, so if, if now if we, we, we know this kind of me- metabolic thing of like what the high thyroid is doing, let's talk a little bit about the immune system. Okay. Because I don't think that enough people understand the importance of the immune system and the thyroid gland. You know, I think of, I mean, the immune system is always, we're learning more and more about it. I think it's, it's a, it's a difficult system to understand. And I don't even know that most people, I don't even know that we have a complete understanding as a whole, right? Even immunologists sometimes. So there's T cells and B cells. Um, and they're, they're basically types of immune cells. And then within each category there, the T cells and B cells, there's other, there's different types of T cells. So mm-hmm. two, um, we'll talk about more, but two really important ones are TH1 and TH2, and that stands for T helper one and T helper two. Mm-hmm. And those are important because there's there's a lot of thought nowadays that the balance between these two the cells really has a lot to do with what your immune system is going to react to, whether it's going to react to itself like an autoimmunity, or it's going to overreact to the environment like as an allergies. Um, so these are really two really important cells. Um, but basically the, the T helper cells go, they go around and they stimulate, um, cells to kill. So the idea is that we're doing this against an organism, right? A Mm -hmm. virus or a bacteria. And so the T helper cells stimulate natural killer cells, which go in and actually kill. Mm -hmm. And this, They're kind of like the Marines. They're the first line of defense. Natural killer cells are, they're the Marines. They go in and they just start the the process. Yeah. Yeah. And, and depending on what type of TH1 or or TH cell, T T helper cell you have, um, depends on how this goes. So it's not, um, there's not just one way all this happens. Sometimes you can have, too much TH2 and it can push it another way. But in general, um, the natural killers come in and they kill whatever it is, whether it's a, a cancer cell or a virus or a bacteria or even, you know, one of our own cells or right. or um, something else. And then what happens is there's no, there has to be somebody to come in to kind of slow down that progression. The natural killers are really good at killing, but they're not good at kind of slowing themselves down. So that's the T suppressor cells. We have the natural killers and then we have the suppressors. So mm-hmm. what do the B cells do? So the B cells are the taggers. They are the ones that go around. Um, I've heard you say, they're, they're, if we're looking, if we're making analogies, they're yeah. like the parking attendants, right? They go around and park uh, and, and tag, tag cells for destruction, basically. Like this right. cell doesn't look normal to me. It's tagged. But that's how the other cells know which cells are bad, right? right. Or quote unquote bad or is because they've been tagged. So those are the ones that need to be 
taken out. So what happens, let's say, in an autoimmune condition? There can be different ways that it that it's expressed, but basically somehow these cells are getting some part of the cell or the enzyme is getting marked for destruction. And whether that be that it's tagged, um, that the TH, the T helpers aren't in balance, so they're kind of working against you. If you get too much power in one side, so too many of TH1 cells, then then it's like they're double-crossing you. They have too much power, there's too many of them, and they start to gang up on you. So then we start destroying our own cells or attacking our own cells as if they were a cell with a virus or a bacterial cell. And then if you have too much TH2, if you're more TH2 dominant, you have too many B cells. So you're basically tagging everything. Mm -hmm. So you can see how both of those systems is not very good for actually destruction and stopping, stopping destruction, um, or doing destruction that's needed, you're just getting tagged way too much, right? And maybe your immune system can't keep up with everything that the B cells have become dominant in either one of those, and either one of those is, is going to have a little bit of a different treatment strategy. And it's, it's going to be, you know, it's just going to kind of lend itself to that autoimmune picture. You know, when we talk about the immune system, it's good just to know about how those cells work because this can apply really to any autoimmune condition. Yeah. Because today, autoimmunity is like rampant. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like you know, there's so many conditions out there that are autoimmune conditions that we see today. It can even apply to things like allergies, yep. right? I mean, how yep. many people have allergies? Yeah, a decent amount, yep. and and there's a lot of thought that that has to do with that. T helper about. So first, let's maybe talk about what people would be feeling, like symptoms. Like what are the typical symptoms that we're seeing patients with when they come in, and we suspect a thyroid um, fatigue, uh, weight gain. So for n- no reason, nothing's changed, but all of a sudden they've gained weight. Uh, constipation, mm-hmm. depression. They get cold intolerant. Like all of a sudden, the cold bothers them a lot more. Whereas maybe before they. They could be outside and it wouldn't be an issue. Um, Poor circulation, um, muscle cramps. If you think about every cell is kind of working a little bit less hard and with less fuel. And so you can get dry skin and hair falling out or hair breakage and nail breakage, nails being brittle. Um, And you're, you're, temperature can actually go down. And then I think something that's really important for athletes too, or people that are active is your healing times can increase. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's say I'm doing something and I get a little bit of tendonitis um, and it's going to take me a lot longer to heal from that tendonitis. So that's one thing that sometimes is the first thing people notice is that they, they're not feeling like they're getting better from right. a sprain or a tendonitis or they're just, they're trying to do everything right. And it's not, they still have those aches and pains or they're mm-hmm. not having the same recovery that they had from, from being active. Mm-hmm. I see it in people who aren't overweight. I, it seems to be it, it, because of maybe the autoimmune component, 
not, I, I think in the past, at least when we were in medical school, I always felt like it was like, you know, the person will probably not be of normal weight. They may be swollen looking, et cetera, which can happen even in skinny people, thin mm-hmm. people. But you don't have to be necessarily, you don't have to have all of these to fit into it. So you could be of normal weight and height and have fatigue, dry hair, dry nails, depression, um, you know, insomnia, constipation, and you don't look overweight, you know, you haven't gained a ton of weight, or maybe you just gained a little bit of weight in your middle, you know, Mm -hmm. you didn't think anything of it. Um, And so that it's kind of always good, I think, too, to to remember that it's not everybody fits like into that picture, right? Mm -hmm. Of what a hypothyroid person is supposed to look like, quote unquote. Yeah, all those symptoms, you know, I think it's rare we find somebody that has all the symptoms, right? Sometimes they, they usually just exhibit some of them and and there's no rule of thumb as to which ones you see every time what is what is different about Hashimoto's like what are we going to see in somebody who has Hashimoto's maybe more of a, a test like on their test so we talked about TSH we talked about T3 and T4 maybe we should talk a little bit about what we would see in a testing of those numbers and then and then also what's different about Hashimoto's okay so if we're looking at somebody who has a hypothyroid picture and we run their labs and that confirms it, then we're looking at a higher TSH Mm -hmm. um, and probably a lower T4 and T3. Um, uh, Sometimes, you know, it's hard. Some, like you were saying, testing is a little bit hard. There's no, it's, it's not like it always reads like a book. So, um, sometimes the T4 and the T3 can be normal, but the TSH can be really high. I mean, it, it really depends, but essentially there's some sort of indication there that there's, it's the thyroid is under functioning. Um, and so, and, and, and this is where I don't know if we should even get into it, but this is where optimum reference ranges, I think, are really important Mm -hmm. because, you know, every lab establishes a reference range that normal is within these limits, Mm -hmm. but it's based on the lab, the equipment they're using. It's not always based on where someone should be optimally. And so I think... um, a lot of times somebody can come in with like a hypothyroid picture and not have the labs are all within normal range, mm-hmm. but I would consider that they're not optimum. And that's a great time to have, to, to look at the thyroid and really try to assess where it's at. And so one of the most common things, I think I read a statistic that said, um, more than 200,000 diagnoses a year of Hashimoto's. And ha- primarily how we diagnose it is we look at autoantibodies. So mm-hmm. we look at the the immune system creates these things called antibodies in response to an infection typically. Um, and it And it's a memory essentially of an infection with a certain thing. But where we have autoantibodies or it's a... It's a memory of attacking a certain one of our own cells. So the autoantibodies is, is the anti-TPO or anti-thyroid peroxidase antibody that we tend to look at with Hashimoto's. And um, if somebody has a positive um, result with a anti-TPO, 
um, then we know that they their immune system is attacking a part of their thyroid. And often that sometimes it can lead to a little bit of hyperthyroid initially, but mm-hmm. typically we think of it associated with hypo functioning thyroid. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you get your blood loves done and the doctor does not test you for these autoantibodies and your TSH comes back normal, they might say, oh, you don't have any thyroid problem, right? Mm-hmm. I've seen it all the time. Traditionally, I don't really see TSH that high in a Hashimoto's unless they're really bad. Like, And usually by then, their their presentation is like, whoa, you've got Hashimoto's, you know, you've got a thyroid problem. But a lot of times people, their, their antibodies can be high and their TSH can be normal. So um, if their TSH comes back normal and they, I still feel like they um, are presenting, I'll just go ahead and test the, you know, the autoantibody. Sometimes it's just, we just do that whole thyroid panel anyways. I don't, this is the problem with conventional um, labs is most of you out there are going to go to your primary care physician and they're going to draw, they'll add maybe TSH as a thyroid marker to your yearly blood labs or to your physical labs or whatever to check it. Um, If you, the, the anti-TPO labs, they're not going to add that as a traditional lab. So even if you're, so if your TSH comes back normal range in their normal range, which for conventional labs is higher than the naturopathic range than what you and I would say, you know, um, they, they're not going to do anything. They won't run it. They won't run the autoantibodies. And so I know in our case, sometimes if, especially if the case presents itself, you just run the whole panel, you run it all. Um, because then you can immediately rule that out. If somebody does not have auto autoantibodies, they don't have Hashimoto's. They could still have hypothyroid. Mm-hmm. They just don't have Hashimoto's. And I think that's a really important thing to remember, um, is, is to kind of rule all those things out. Right. Yeah. Because Hashimoto's is an immune condition. And if you're treating somebody hypothyroid, like they just have hypothyroid, but they have an immune condition, you're not treating it as immune condition, you're not really serving them well. So I think that something to to definitely check out. And I don't know why they don't test autoantibodies on tests for thyroid. It's you know what I've kind it's of probably thought, money, you know, I guess it all comes down to money with labs. Yeah, and I what insurance well, I, I'll pay for. I also think there's no way to so the traditional medical model doesn't have any way to treat it. Right. And so, you know, that was one thing I learned in medical school, right? If you're not going to treat the patient any differently, don't run the test necessarily because um, what do you, what does that give them? You're just spending their money basically. Um, So if, if the outcome of the test wouldn't change your treatment, then you don't need to run it. It's Mm -hmm. not necessary. Um, I think what differs with our medicine is we have, you know, ways to treat it. Um, so traditionally hypothyroidism is treated, is treated with T4. So we have a synthetic version of T4 and it's given to somebody with hypothyroid, whether they have Hashimoto's or not, it doesn't, the treatment, um, might vary in approach a little bit, but not in what you're given. Right. Mm-hmm. It might vary in dosage, but not really what you're given. And most of the time I see, um, people, th- they don't change the treatment once they know that their patients are Hashimoto's or not. So, well, yeah, I, I have this interesting case lately and, um, I won't say names, but I know she's probably listening. A uh, patient that, uh, came to me and she has, 
she has Hashimoto's. She was diagnosed via her endocrinologist and the endocrinologist put her on just, you know, thyroid medication. Uh, didn't run some of the other markers that we've talked about. Didn't run a reverse T3, which we haven't talked about, but that's helpful in knowing if someone does have hypothyroid dysfunction, what types of medications to put them on. This is a perfect example of how Hashimoto's is one of these. If you do not address lifestyle factors, you can take medication all day long and maybe even your numbers will get better, right? So she she had the autoantibodies, she had elevated TSH, she was given levothyroxine, which is kind of our, our synthroid, sorry, which is the typical um, synthetic thyroid hormone that most endocrinologists will give. And uh she was sent on her way with no other support, with no other things, without running a reverse T3 to see if she needed to be on Cytomel, which sometimes they need to be depending on that, right? Nope. And so she started taking it and uh, her number started feeling worse. She actually started feeling worse while her numbers were getting better. And this is where the, the medications are kind of like, you know, they are like a little bit of a band-aid. So, you know, when your kid has a scratch on their leg, it could be a deep gouge in their leg and you just put a band-aid on it and they just stop crying. But you know that band-aid is not healing the wound. You know the body's healing the wound. It just takes time. But sometimes giving the thyroid medication is kind of this little band-aid that it will actually make the brain respond. It will make the TSH go down um, by just by nature of what it does. And then it might also make the autoantibodies go down some, but you don't ever see them go down. And this is what I hear from the endocrinologist is that the person has Hashimoto's, their antibodies will never go away. So, so the endocrinologist just thinks, well, your TSH is getting normal, your numbers are getting better, your antibodies went down a little bit, but you have Hashimoto's, therefore it will never, your antibodies will always be there. So it doesn't, so it's working. And that's what, and that's what was told to this patient. It's working. The medication's working. And she's like, why do I feel worse? Why do I feel worse? And part of it is that it's a complex picture. She's got a lot of other things going on, but it's just like putting a Band-Aid over that gouge and it it immediately kind of decreases the pain a little bit, right? You feel a little bit better, but even when those numbers get a little bit better, it's it's not really addressing the root cause of it. And so that's where the lifestyle factors and these immune enhancing things, right? Because we're dealing with immune disease here. We're not dealing with just a thyroid disease. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to realize for, I, I'm sure a lot of folks out here listening have had that same thing. And the frustrating thing is, is that the endocrinologist, it took her four months to get into the endocrinologist and it takes her another, it sometimes takes her weeks to even get the endocrinologist, uh, you know, physician's assistant to call her back when she's feeling horrible mm-hmm. and they won't adjust her medication till her next appointment, which could might be three to six months later. So what starts to happen is people just kind of become hopeless and they think that if the medication hasn't fixed them, mm-hmm. nothing can fix them. Yeah. And I think that what we have to offer, like you said, they really don't have an answer. It's like if the medication's not working, 
if you're not feeling better, sorry. Yeah. That's kind of how it is, right? So I just went on a total rant right there. <laughs> but I see this so often in my practice, and it's just such a disservice to patients. And I think it's just because the medical care system, there's just not enough time for people to dig. You know, you and I, we spend more time with our patients, and we're given that freedom yeah. by the type of medicine we do. You got to dig sometimes. You got to dig. You got to figure out why. But, you know, putting a little Band-Aid on a huge gouging wound is not going to work for the long term. So let's talk a little bit about those lifestyle factors. What is so important, I think, for Hashimoto's to help heal Hashimoto's? If you think about, so then, you know, I think a really good question to ask is what is good for the immune system? What do you do when you when you feel sick? I mean, I think one of the most important things is sleep. Right. right? It helps to regulate the immune system. It helps to it helps to calm it. Um, when you're sick, what 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 allows you to kind of recharge, you know, you automatically get tired. And, and I think having enough sleep, you know, I'm saying that of course, and I, oh, I well, I'm not, a, <laughs> I'm not always able to get it, but I think it, I think it makes a big difference. We also know that, you know, I was, you know, vitamin D makes yeah. a big difference, but that can translate, you know, to being outside too. I think um, being outside, getting outside of sitting at a desk in front of a computer, wherever you are, being outside, getting getting outside a little bit, I think can do um, make a big shift in, in the health of your immune system and the health of your body. Um, and then we know that your gut has, you know, your GI system, your whole digestive system has um, a big play into how your immune system acts. And I know you guys have talked about this before, so I won't. Yeah, we're big advocates, but, but really all naturopaths are. I mean, everything starts with the gut. Yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, so we talk about, okay, what's, what, what bacteria are living in the gut? We know that what bacteria you have living in the gut really influences your immune system. And then where do you get that bacteria, right? You get it from your mom, but then you continue to get things throughout your life, right? Playing, gardening, playing in the dirt outside, mm -hmm. you know, that can influence your gut Pets. bacteria. Pets. That's in the household. Hunting, actually, exposure to blood. There was some, you know, this research coming out on tribal cultures or that they hunt and they harvest and their hands are in the dirt and they're killing animals and touching their blood that that actually influences your microbiome yeah and what what are people doing nowadays that is like i think everybody's afraid of germs and yeah. you know we're using this hand sanitizer like going out of style and we're wash your hands when you walk into a room when you walk out hand sanitizer yeah. when you walk out when yeah. you now granted washing your hands with hot soap and water is really important because yeah. it stops the spread of disease. And it's it's actually the only really proven way to stop disease is just wash your hands with, with warm soap and water. Um, especially if you like go to the bathroom or, you know, you're cooking with raw meat or you're doing all that kind of stuff. But this constant fear of, of, of like getting anything. And so you're like, we're becoming, uh, what is it? You know, we're basically resistant to all this stuff. And now we're seeing that reflected in the microbiome, which is making us sicker. There's actually a, a theory out there. It's called the hygiene hypothesis mm -hmm. saying that we're too clean, right? Yeah. We uh, you use the bleach wipes on every countertop. I mean, to some extent, 
being clean is important, but there's also the other side that you're depriving yourself of some exposure. And I always think of the immune system as, as a student, Mm -hmm. right? It needs to be exposed to stuff to learn how to work. Mm -hmm. So not only are you getting that benefit of growing this microbiome inside you that can make you change your cravings, make you happier, make your immune system healthier. But then also your immune system has to be exposed to stuff to learn how to be a good immune system. Right. It can't, it doesn't learn it any other way. Right. I think, um, I think some of the other lifestyle things that are really important is obviously when we talk about the gut and the bacteria and improving that microbiome, you know, I'm addressing food allergies is a big piece of that. So a lot of people, you know, gluten intolerance and Hashimoto's are heavily correlated together. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you're eating a ton of gluten um, and you're having these symptoms or you already have Hashimoto's, you know, you really should reconsider that. I think just kind of those grains in general, any type of glutinous grain and even over overeating of grains um, and simple sugars, obviously, because mm-hmm. another one is insulin dysregulation. Mm-hmm. And so this is all tied into diet. Mm-hmm. And this is all tied into getting people to just eat simpler, healthier, whole foods um, and stay away from all the processed, gluten-filled, sugar-filled, uh, you know, as well as antibiotic-filled foods mm-hmm. that are slowly just destroying your gut and your microbiome. And therefore your immune system. Which is destroying your immune system, yeah. you know. And these are not overnight things. Um, I I had a patient who's had horrible skin conditions, like for months, just eczemous-like, you know, itching, burning, red skin, like all this. And we just put them on, you know, the gut restoration program, basically, and it takes time, mm-hmm. you know, and he was coming in, it's not working, it's working. I'm just like, just stay with it. You know, he's been doing the gut restoration now for three months. And he came in this week and I was like, whoa, your skin. And he's like, oh yeah, it's like really, he didn't, you know, that's the funny thing about the brain. As people <laughs> get healthier, they forget, yeah. right? Like, oh yeah, my skin is so much better and and it's working. It's, you know, something. it's funny because sometimes people will be like, oh yeah, it's it's better, yeah. Like it wasn't even a problem. And I'm like, well, this was like a horrible problem. The last time I saw you, you know, you were like, didn't know what you were going to do with yourself. Well, he's healthier. His skin's getting better. It's clearing up. And what that means is his gut is clearing up, which means that that gut brain axis, like all those things are working better. So you don't have as much anxiety. Mm-hmm. You don't have as much depression over your health condition, you know, mm-hmm. and this just takes time, mm-hmm. right? It's also like, like going back to pregnancy, and having young children, like telling a young mother. And I, I feel like we do so much of this because go to sleep. You just need to sleep. What? When? So <laughs> many women and men, I guess, but probably more women are just sleep deprived for literally decades of their life. If you have multiple children, um, you know, y- you are literally sleep deprived for decades of your life. And my daughter's been sleeping in her own bed since Christmas, my little one. I've been sleeping by myself more nights alone than ever, like not with kids on top of me. It is makes a dramatic change in how you feel. But it's, you know, it's end of March, so almost April. It's taking me literally three months of getting maybe four nights a week consistent sleep to really notice a change in just my mental, the way I mentally feel it makes such a huge deal. Yeah. But the interesting thing about pregnancy is that pregnancy kind of screws up your 
it kind of screws up that TH1, TH2 balance. Right. So even if you go into it perfectly balanced, let's right. say. Yeah, perfectly. <laughs> you know, you perfectly balanced women. We all do, Send me an right? email. I want your secret. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so we know that pregnancy can make, just by nature, makes us more TH2 dominant, meaning, th- so TH2 kind of activates those B cells, right? right. The taggers. And we don't want things being killed when we're carrying another person inside of us, right? right? Because our immune system can kill the baby. We don't want that to happen. So that TH1 side, the natural killer side, the Marines get put mm-hmm. back and kept inside for a little while. Mm-hmm. And and all the t- the parking ticket people go out and they just tag stuff that they see that's abnormal. Now, not completely, but... But mostly that's what's happening. And then as after we have the baby, it's safe for those Marines to come out, the natural mm-hmm. killer cells. So we kind of tip back the other way. The taggers have done all this work and there's still just a bunch of cells tagged for towing, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, then the T, we, we kind of shift back postpartum and go more TH1 balanced and or not balanced. Not balanced. Yeah, we <laughs> TH1 go the dominant. Way. Yep. And then there's much more killing that happens. A lot of the symptoms that you feel when you're sick are because of your immune system. Yep. So when you're when you have immune dysregulation, like you're not balanced and things are off, like the achiness, the all the flu symptoms that you think of, right? Those yep. are those are the immune system that you're feeling. It's not the virus. And so much of the time that we feel a lot of symptoms from, from a cold, the flu, you know, they're not actually from the virus. And so if you imagine that you're always operating out of balance and with your immune system overacting on the wrong things, you're always acting in this like semi sick state and that doesn't feel good. So more aches and pains, more fatigue, more. So aside from the thyroid, right? You can have a lot of these symptoms just from your immune system being activated. Yeah. And, and uh, like after pregnancy or even during some sort of immune event. So let's say, you've gotten really sick, you got a virus or a parasitic infection or bacterial infection, you got super sick. These are actually, or post-pregnancy, these are times we actually can see something like Hashimoto's start because all of a sudden the body's been tagging all these proteins on the cells and then things start killing and then the body doesn't know it just starts because sometimes your own cells have the same protein as like a virus does, right? So you'll get tagged and then all of a sudden your body will start tagging your own cells and then it starts attacking. So sometimes we see like the Hashimoto's develop after pregnancy again, cause you get T- TH1 dominant or after viral infection, after bacterial infection, after you've been really sick, people start to develop some of these conditions as well. Yeah. Um, and that again, is that kind of imbalance of the immune system um, trying to figure that out. I think anything, you know, if anything for the Hashimoto's addressing those lifestyle and those immune factors. And one of the biggest ones, and Ryan and I have talked about this a ton is, you know, toxic 
toxic exposure, mm-hmm. um, which we talked about in the testosterone, you know, with Dr. JC, the testosterone program, we've talked about it with male hormones and, you know, male infertility. And again, we'll see, we'll see hormonal problems in men who have Hashimoto's as well as estrogen. Estrogen can be a big problem in Hashimoto's as well. Um, but all of those things can be affected by toxic exposure. Mm-hmm. So the plastics in our environment, mm-hmm. you know, the phthalates in our environment, the, the fluoride in our water, right? Yep. I mean, I mentioned fluoride not because um, I'm trying to make a political statement about it, but like we know that fluoride can influence Hashimoto's, right? So having... Well, fluoride, bromide, they put it... They put it in breads, right, mm-hmm. to soften bread up. Mm-hmm. Fluorides, bromides, and what is iodides? Um, chlorine. So chlorine. swimmers, right, that are Chlorides. swimming a lot of time in pools yep. um, can can it, be affected by those it. things. Actually, inhibit thyroid hormone production. Mm-hmm. Correct. They mm-hmm. they basically bind up and they inhibit it. So if you have exposures to those, you're eating a bunch of these things, or you're ingesting a bunch of these things you could actually get it from that. Yeah. You know, I, I, we haven't really talked about it yet, and but iodine is really important for the thyroid. Right. Um, it's a main component of those thyroid hormones. And um, I'm going to shoot you back to high school chemistry. And, you know, if you look at that halogen section of the periodic table, right, iodine, bromine, bromine. Um, chlorine, and fluoride. fluoride. They're all, they all look the same. So they can bind up to those areas. And all of a sudden, your thyroid's getting, getting kind of gummed up because Mm -hmm. it's not the iodine that it needs to make the right thing. And so, you know, having good, healthy water that's clean and not, you know, and good, healthy food that's not full of additives. I think another big thing that I just like to touch on and because because women in general is is birth control pills. Yeah. And you know, birth control pills are um you know, they are they are kind of telling your body, they're changing your hormonal chemistry in order to tell your body either you know, not to have a baby basically is what they're doing. And so these excess estrogens that we can see um, from the birth control pill can also influence the thyroid function Mm -hmm. and make it sluggish basically. And that's mainly by liver. That's mainly by the liver metabolism of these because the liver has to metabolize estrogens and all these things. And so, you know, I, um, I hate to say it, I'm I'm not a very big advocate of hormonal birth control. I, I am obviously if women don't want to get pregnant because a baby is a whole lot more work than that. But I have to say that over a lifetime, hormonal birth control kind of wreaks havoc on a woman's system. I see that kind of being a big influence too in this whole idea of, you know, of the autoimmunity and how the liver's working and how the thyroid's working. And if you're just taking and, you know, maybe even... In some aspects, you could even hormone replacement women and postmenopausal women, you know, how is that over long term affecting the thyroid? All things to consider. Well, and as you said before, like exposures and hormones, Mm -hmm. right? We know that a lot of medications get into the water. We're all being exposed to birth control (laughs) (laughs) and antidepressants. And uh, it's actually kind of depressing if you go down that wormhole. I mean, I went to a conference last summer, you know, at the A&P and they were like, this lady put up a fish from one of the Great Lakes or something. And she just like put the 
the amounts they tested in these fish of like SSRIs, birth control, meprazole, which is like an acid blocker, like uh, all the things we ingest in our body and poop in the toilet and it goes down into the water system. Mm-hmm. Or you dump your medication down the toilet, which you're not supposed to do. Right. And it's like, whoa, you know, you just, you could, you could get totally paranoid about this. So I, what I think is important to communicate about that is that, well, you can't always control that. You can control what you put on your body. So mm-hmm. your women, you know, your your makeups, your lotions, your hair products, your your feminine products, like everything, you know, chlorines treated with chlorines, you know, even toilet paper, if you think about it, it's treated with chlorine, you know, and how many people use toilet paper, right. you know? <laughs> and so, but you can control some of those things and you can control what hormones you put in your body and mm-hmm. you can control what food you eat. You might not always be able to control the water in your environment unless you filter it, you know, doing that or, you know, what the air is like when you walk outside. What you're breathing in. Yeah. But the the best thing you can do is can try to control what goes into your body or onto your body, mm-hmm. you know, that you're purposely putting on. As best you can, right? Yep. You're minimizing your exposures. Yep. So the first line thing I do with gals and guys, because guys are using perfumes and colognes and under odor deodorant stuff is if they're exhibiting problems of thyroid or any other hormonal condition. And actually I think everybody should do it is just clean up clean up your bathroom, clean up the products you're using, read labels. Um, do you really need that product? You know, um, especially with women in makeup and how mm-hmm. much stuff we put on our body. It's insane. I forget what it's like hundreds of chemicals a day we are exposing our endocrine systems to. Yeah. So just, you know, that's like, that's what every Hashimoto's patient, I I feel like that's just like the first line. I just tell her like, okay, just let's get rid of all this stuff, yeah. you know, and change it around. So that would be the first thing, you know, filter your water, um, go organic, um, just simple things that you can do yourself. Um, what are some other kind of bigger things? You know, we talked about the gut. We talked about that. So what are some like maybe supplemental things that you feel like nutrient wise? Because nutrients are so important to the thyroid that really our diets are pretty deficient in these days. And you had mentioned iodine. Maybe we could go into a little bit of the supplements. Yeah. And um, and then we're, oh my gosh, we're probably running out of time. Um, so, um, so iodine is really important. Um, it's really, it's used other places, but that's really what we think of when we think of what iodine does in the body is that it's a, it's a, it's a really important major constituent of thyroid hormone. So without it, we're not making it. Um, um, and we don't, we don't tend, you know, there's iodized salt, but if you're not eating iodized salt, um, we don't tend, I'd say in general, American diets, um, with the exception of iodized salt, don't tend to get a lot of iodine. Um, you know, a major source of it is sea vegetables and that's just not a mainstay. I mean, some people eat it, some people eat a lot of it, but it's just not a mainstay of anybody's foods. Yeah. It's not part of the standard American diet. It is like in, you know, Asian diets and stuff, but um, and then selenium. So there's some minerals that are really important. And um, I always, I think I see a lot of mineral deficiency. You know, uh, if you look at mass farming production and the soils, oftentimes 
tend to be mineral deficient. And I think, especially with some of our trace minerals, we tend to see some trace mineral deficiencies. Um, and then one of those that's really important that's a trace mineral is selenium for the thyroid. It helps to convert from our storage form to our active form. You know, we didn't go into other thyroid conditions, but sometimes you can have a totally normal TSH, but your active thyroid hormone is low Mm -hmm. without having Hashimoto's or autoantibodies. Functionally, you're hypothyroid, but it would never be caught on a conventional lab because you're not, your TSH is fine. Um, and, and so uh, oftentimes that can be due to a selenium deficiency. Zinc, another big mineral mm-hmm. for the thyroid. Um, iron, that's one I, you know, we tend to think of it for women more than men, but um, not in real high amounts, but in low amounts. Um, copper, vitamin E, Vitamin D we talked about for the immune system mm-hmm. and B12 are kind of my top, my top eight that I go to when thinking about, mm-hmm. you know, and we didn't talk about it, but a lot of times too, you don't have to have Hashimoto's to have like a hypothyroid. And so your thyroid can just be under functioning, um, for reasons because of exposures, because of deficiencies. Right. And that's, that's another thing to kind of look at is it's not always because of autoimmunity. Sometimes you can have under, you know, you can be deficient in something and not able to make enough thyroid hormone. And, and really it's just about correcting that deficiency or finding out what it was that caused that and, and addressing it, addressing it from the root. Which is why it's important, I think, for practitioners to really run an extensive thyroid panel on people, especially if they're exhibiting any type of symptom, because if you just run their TSH, you're not going to find that, right? Right. And um, that's why I know here in our office, we tend to run a full panel, right? We'll run the TSH, T3, T4, sometimes reverse T3, um, the autoantibodies, if we're suspicious of that. Uh, and that'll just give you, so like everything might be right. Like you said, but the T3's off and you're mm-hmm. like, huh, you know, let's try some nutrients. Let's, let's add some of these. Would you say Brazil nuts? Mm-hmm. Just a couple Brazil nuts a day. So like three or four Brazil nuts five a day. Five to six. Okay. Five to <laughs> six a day, which is actually a pretty rich meal. I think five <laughs> yeah. or six of those like, ugh, um, has enough selenium in them you know, to do that. So you don't always have to run to supplements. Uh, you know, obviously food, I'm always a big advocate of food, but food takes more time, food preparation. If you're getting that, you're buying the right foods, you're doing organic, you know, sometimes there's a learning curve with that. So, um, it can be helpful to get a good high quality thyroid support supplement, or just even taking a little bit of selenium, which is cheap and easy to do. And that right there might help a whole bunch. Vitamin D is insane. Like again, where we live in this climate, I feel like everybody is vitamin D deficient. And when I see those people with like a vitamin D over 50, I am like, whoa, yeah, you go, man, you're doing good. Takes a lot to get there. (laughs) Do you have any other key kind of pearls, words of wisdom? Let me just say there are other thyroid conditions, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So we can see a hyperthyroid. Um, Mm -hmm. There is another immune-related thyroid condition that's called Graves. It's pretty rare. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of a whole different animal. I feel like, um, we don't see hyperthyroid that often. It's, it's, it is fairly rare. Um, I would say 
I don't know about you, but I see it the most with over-medicated people, yeah. right? So where we're pushing their thyroid into being right. hyper. Um, you don't see it a lot with others, but I would say um, – and then thyroid cancer. I just thought we'd, yeah. we could touch on that real briefly. It is something to be aware of. Um, so trouble breathing, trouble swallowing, hoarseness or other voice changes, pain in the front of the neck, swelling mm-hmm. in the neck or some symptoms to go see your doctor about right away. Yeah. But I would say uh, with the exception of kind of the things I just mentioned, which is why I wanted to mention them, um, I think the thyroid is really responsive. It, through my years of working with patients with thyroid conditions, I've seen Hashimoto's antibodies go away. I've seen, you know, the immune system get balanced so that they don't have that immune response. I've seen mm-hmm. people come off of thyroid medication. In our typical view of it, we don't think of it this way, but I think it's a pretty amazing gland that, you know, it treated correctly and addressing the root, you can really work to correct some of these issues and feel better. And mm-hmm. that's the thing. I think that's my... That's my thing that I would say for people to take home if anybody's struggling with it. I think a lot of people, you know, I see people that come in that are treated for their thyroid condition, quote unquote, right? And they feel horrible Mm -hmm. and they've kind of lost hope. And I had one person that was told that that's just how you'll feel now. Mm -hmm. You're just going to feel tired and depressed now because you have a thyroid condition and and I don't think that's true. So that's that's something I'd love to say is just you know get get somebody knowledgeable about the thyroid to help you navigate the system and take a look at it and um, because I think I think you can heal it. You know I think a lot of what um, we know about the thyroid you can you can do things to rebalance the immune system and you can help to correct deficiencies and. And, and feel better. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, you know, as physicians, we are really just facilitators. And that's always what I say is, you know, we are facili- facilitating people to maybe help them place some of the puzzle pieces together. But it's up to you. I mean, it's up to the patient to do the work and to make those changes and to be really proactive. And if you have a physician who is not being a good facilitator who is not helping you, you know, try to find the puzzles to, you know, pieces to the puzzle and just telling you that this is what you have now, you just have to deal with it. Uh, I just always say, you know, look deeper, look for somebody who will help you do that. And in some cases, you don't even need to find a physician to help you, you just need to do the work. You know, (laughs) you just, you just need to do the common sense changes that sometimes make all the difference actually most of the time make all of the difference mm-hmm. you know uh, one of my favorite podcasts i did was with ben lynch you know and we did it and he has a you know he has a huge supplement company he has like a he's got an empire now of things and he could just be trying to sell people supplements for their genetic conditions and this and that and he will always be the first person to say is like you have to do the lifestyle changes it's essential if you don't do those things like the other stuff doesn't matter you know and he's dealing with genetics mm-hmm. and as we know genetics can also play into thyroid problems mm-hmm. right so the medicine that's coming out these days really exciting but finding a practitioner who's forward thinking who's always trying to kind of fit those pieces together and who's who's you know we can't 
I don't know about you, but I can't always be learning 24 seven. I have to work. Right. <laughs> and we know that clinical practice is about 10 years behind research. Right. You know, the researchers are out there figuring out all the things that are changing and new and, you know, writing the books and for the kids in school, but you and I are sitting here having to work every day. You know, it takes us a lot of work to stay up on these things. And so we're not always, you know, ahead of our time all the time. But I think practitioners who are willing to sit down with a patient and look at these things deeper, that's why I love this medicine. Mm -hmm. And that's why like the whole entire world needs this medicine. Cause this is really going back to the root you know, this is not putting that Band-Aid on the gouging wound and just telling you you're going to have a gouging wound for the rest of your life. Sorry. Right. right. And so I think that that's what's so exciting to be, especially in this this day and age in, in medicine, to just see how things are just rapidly changing, but that how those simple lifestyle things will never change. Yeah. You you can't get around them, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's what's, that's what kind of always v validates for me why I'm doing what I do. So it's been awesome having you on. We'll have you on again for sure. I'm sure there'll be a million emails about what people want to learn about next, but um, yeah. I appreciate it. And I talked more than you did, so I'm sorry. <laughs> no. But you know how I am. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. And and yeah, I'm, I love doing this. So yeah, cool. Well, thanks. That was great information.